I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. As someone who has a food line, with my photo on the packaging even, I know how difficult it is to get it right at every level from flavor profiles, ingredients, taste, all the way to packaging, labeling, marketing, distribution, warehousing, supply chain. It is endless. So I want to learn from some of the best who have done it successfully over the years, which is why I turned to Daniel Stackman. Daniel is the founder and president of Upton's Naturals, an independently owned ethical vegan food company based out of Chicago, Illinois. Daniel is a 30-year vegan and longtime advocate for animal rights and environmental sustainability, and he founded Upton's Naturals in 2006 with a do-it-yourself attitude and a slow-growth business model. Today, his products, including his wildly popular Seitan products, are sold in thousands of stores nationwide, as well as in international marketplaces. We talk about his personal journey into veganism, as well as his own entrepreneurial journey of selling plant-based products, especially at a time when it wasn't the norm back in 2006. Please welcome to the show, Daniel Stackman of Upton's Naturals. 
where am I talking to you from? Are you, where are you? Are you in Chicago? I'm, yep. I'm at home in Chicago. Right. And are you like born and bred in Chicago? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've, I've lived here my whole life. So wow. do you love, love the windy city? Uh, I, I, I love it, but I'm not one of those like, you know, city pride kind of guys like trash talking, you know, every other city like Chicago's the best, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I'm, I'm happy a lot of places. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, you and I met for the first time. Uh, I think it was back in March at the Expo West. Yes. Uh, which is obviously for people that don't know Expo West. It's a natural expo that has all the basically food lines, natural food lines, um, kind of in the country and all over the world. It's one of the biggest that I've ever been to. I mean, how many, how many different food companies would you say are have booze and are, and are, uh, hocking their stuff? I, I can't remember the number of exhibitors. It's definitely, it's definitely in the thousands for sure. Um, yeah. I know that the attendees, I think the highest, maybe it was pre-pandemic, was uh, was like a hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, so it's it's big. It's it's definitely one of the largest shows of any kind in the in the U.S. Yeah, I know that after I get done with three days at Expo West, I'm dizzy and kind of out of sorts for a good week. Are you? Yeah. yeah it's. I mean, I'm. I guess I'm used to it by now, but it it can be very intense. Uh huh. Well. <laughs> So just for people that, that don't know, Daniel, you're the, you're the founder and CEO of Upton's Naturals. You've got a whole bunch of different products. Uh, you, your first product was Seitan, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, does it, that, now, do you pronounce it Seitan, Seitan? <laughs> I'll go either way. I mean, largely I say Seitan, but uh, sometimes a little, I let a little Seitan slip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you, you really are one of the iconic plant alternative, I'm sorry, I should say meat alternative brands in the, in the marketplace. And you were really one of the first. So, I mean, kudos to you, you know, Daniel, for your, for your vision, your foresight, uh, and your passion in this, in this space. So let's go back. You kind of like you're growing up in Chicago, yeah, you, you got brothers and sisters. I am an only child. Okay, all right, only so. child. And when in the world did you decide that you were gonna stay away from meat and dairy products and, and all that comes along with with uh, with those foods? Yeah, I was uh, I was fifteen, and um, I only had one friend that was like just vegetarian and he had kind of planted that seed in my head. And, you know, I thought about it on and off for, I don't know, probably a number of weeks. And, uh, I was at, um, I was out to dinner with my family and I had a, if you know what a French dip sandwiches, (laughs) um, I, something about it. I took a couple of bites and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm just done with this. And I, I put it down and and never never looked back. So you were um, fifteen. Yeah. And how, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? I'm forty six. Wow. So you are still a young pup. You truly are. Um, 
So it's been it's been close to th- what 30, 30, years, 31 years, roughly. Right. Wow. Um, and do you remember just help me with the math? So what year was that when you were 15? 92, and- I think. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. we're in, yeah, we're in 2023. So. Yep. And are you do you refer to yourself as plant-based? Oh no. Vegan? I'm what? vegan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Plant- I've I've uh I've acknowledged plant-based. I, I can accept that. We put it on the packaging, um, mm-hmm. but I'm a vegan. Uh-huh. We're a vegan company. So, And so explain that to me. I mean, because you, you, you responded very quickly, no, I'm vegan. So yeah. like what's behind that? Um, really, it's, it's more of an ethical stance. You know, I, I started this uh, mostly for animal rights. Um, like I, I'm all for the health benefits, um, and of course the environmental benefits behind, you know, veganism or a plant-based diet. But um, I just had maybe a different motivation um, than others that are starting today. I mean, not that you can't be into animal rights today and mm-hmm. and, and decide to go plant-based, but it, you know, plant-based is just like a it's a softer term, you know. There was maybe a lot of uh, negative uh, associations with the word vegan, um, and especially f- with food, uh, thirty years ago, because it, it it's come a long way for sure, you know. So, um, I, I think it's more of a consumer-facing thing, you know. Like the studies have shown that people respond better to plant-based so if that's what it takes then fantastic and so this friend of yours back when you were 15 that suggested or planted the seed as you said yes did he plant the seed for health reasons or was it because no, of ethical yeah, it reasons strictly ethical mm-hmm. and i haven't kept in touch with him but uh i guess i would i would be surprised if if he was still uh, vegan or vegetarian, but wow. Well, that, that'd be, I mean, yeah, you I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Cause look how far you've come. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So speaking yeah. of, speaking of which, so you started your company Upton's in so 2006. Yeah. Uh-huh. A little, a little bit before, I mean, I, I think we got the, the incorporation papers and all that and, and signed stuff in, in 2006, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And did you have anybody else that you were doing this with, or were you just kind of like the lone ranger here? I had a friend, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, kind of not a terribly long story, but essentially, um, you know, we had been discussing like, oh, we were going to try to buy uh, a conventional bakery that was uh, was looking to sell and we were going to turn it into a vegan bakery. Well, you know, that conversation lagged on a few weeks. And by the time we went to the bakery, it was sold. And uh-huh. mentally, I had already committed to doing something, you know, uh, that that might allow for some activism. And obviously, food's a great way to do that. So I kind of looked around and seitan was a was always a favorite food of mine and there was just one national brand and really just a couple of restaurants making it locally so I came up with that idea and then uh we got into a shared space and just kind of figured it out <laughs> figured it out what was it about 
uh, Satan that you were enamored with? Just the the texture, you know, it's it's very meaty. Obviously, um, I've also really uh, always admired the uh, the the small ingredient list, which is huge for me. Like if you if you notice, all of the Upton's products always have really recognizable ingredients. Uh-huh. Extremely clean and simple. We don't use any, you know, natural flavors or any of that kind of stuff, yeast extracts. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just, it was, it was a favorite and I had only made it one other time. Uh, and that went terribly wrong. (laughs) Uh, I actually made it for my girlfriend at the time's family for Thanksgiving and it was, <laughs> oh, oh, I was, oh. yeah. And I was like, you know, I stayed up all night. I was like 1130 or whatever. And I started making this, this Satan for the first time. And it was so spongy and, you know, wow. I, I brought it the next day and everybody was really nice about it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't until several years later when I just thought, you know, I, I'm going to give this a try again. And then it was a lot of, tr- you know, trial and error. Right. Um, so say tans, how you started Upton's and I know, I, I know you've been asked this question a bunch, but why in the world is it called Upton's? Where'd that come from? Well, I knew that people like a name and a face, right. Uh, on products. Um, I didn't want either to be mine. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just, there's really nothing special about Dan's Satan, uh, at least to me, it, it just didn't, didn't work. Um, so another friend had suggested, you know, like, what about, uh, Upton's there's, there's a book, a very famous book written, um, about the meat industry here in Chicago by mm-hmm. a gentleman named Upton Sinclair. Yeah. Um, we don't advertise that you know we don't really we don't generally talk about that association but largely i just thought that it was a unique enough name um it kind of went with the overall aesthetic that we were trying to go for with this character um and he's been a great salesperson much better than i you know could ever hope to be so so let me ask you that so the dude that's on the front of all your packaging mm-hmm. that very very um handsome lad yeah that, that you know wears the bow tie and he looks like he's from the 19 you know 20s or 30s is that upton st Clair? it is not oh. yeah we also made sure that it looked nothing like the act you know the the uh the author upton um it's just uh yeah just a dude just a guy totally fictional uh Created by our, our friend Johnny Sampson, who's a an illustrator, and uh, yeah, just just a guy. Well, so did did as soon as you saw it, were you like, "That's it"? Yeah, I, I, that's I the, like that. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then depending upon the 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 product, he either has a mustache or doesn't, or has a crazy you know yeah you know handlebar yeah. mustache or whatever. Well, we tried to have fun with it. So where, you know, whenever we launched a new item, we would have, uh, you know, a new 
facial hair to kind of go with it. And uh, we only somewhat recently started kind of recycling those and pairing them. Like if there was uh, like on, we have a, a cheesy bacon Mac yeah. um, and that has the bacon Upton on it with like the little pencil mustache. So my understanding from all of my research, uh, Daniel, is that you, you are currently the number one selling Satan brand in the natural and the Mulo channels. Yes. Is that, is that your understanding? It is. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that's quite an accomplishment. And, you know, for somebody like myself, who's also been in the food space since about 2010, you know, 2010 to 2020, it was with Whole Foods, uh, where they helped help me launch the Engine 2 brand. And then since then, going off on my own with the Plan Strong brand, I can tell you that, you know, what you've done is, is really almost nothing short of remarkable. And looking back, you know, since 2006, when you started this, do you ever go, holy crap? I mean, this is phenomenal. Um, or are you like, I'm, yeah, th this is where I am. And I, I, I knew I'd get here. And uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I generally don't take a lot of time to stop and pat myself on the back. Uh, and, you know, it, it, time is funny, right? Like, so it's like those early little wins that you're like, wow, this is really exciting. And then all of a sudden it's 17 years later and, you know, yeah things just kind of happen, but, uh, well, it is, it is funny how the winds start to stack up and then you've got something, you know, substantial. Can you remember like, what was the first win that you had where you just were like pumping your fist and super excited? Probably getting into those first whole food stores. Cause that's, you know, we, we started, um, in a shared space and launched, uh, we, you know, we pitched to a handful of restaurants in Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, just to make sure that people actually like the product, uh, and saved up, you know, enough to get into our own space and, and get retail packaging and then, uh, went to whole foods and launched in, I think seven stores with them to start. Um, and that was, that was really exciting to, to finally see the product on the shelf and, mm -hmm. um, and to go and do demos, uh, in store. I think I still hold the, the record for how many cases, you know, any person at any demo had ever sold, uh, you know, wow. in, in a three hour period, mm -hmm. um, that, that was really exciting. And then the rest kind of, it's, you know, it's a big blur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those, so those first seven whole food market stores you got into, was that in the Chicago area? Yep. Yep. Mm. We started, uh, I was delivering everything myself, uh, just in a van and coolers. Um, and then we expanded to 20 stores with them. And I think that went through a third party distributor. And then when we got to the full 40 in the region at the time we went through their dc and then just continued to expand with them as like there was uh there was someone from the midwest that had moved to the southwest region um mm. that contacted us and was like hey you know i want to i want to bring you down here 
And, you know, we just had a really slow growth model where we kind of grew region by region with Whole Foods. And, and when we would uh, launch in a new one, uh, we would get in the car and drive to that region and visit every store and pass out buttons and do demos and meet everybody. And, uh, yeah. Wow. And, and then just hope that like other independent stores would, would pick things up. We didn't work with any brokers in the beginning. We didn't have any other sales team or anything. It was just all kind of word of mouth and doing veg fests and demos. That's seriously boots on the ground. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way to get after it. I mean, when, when you don't have any money to do it the other way and no one's interested, um, that's yeah. what you have to do. So, the, so you were completely self-funded, correct? Yeah. I, um, I actually took out a home equity line of credit in, uh, in 2005 Wow. In order to do this, uh, if you recall, that was like the height of all of those no doc, uh, you know, loans that <laughs> that people were taking uh, with crazy balloon payments and all that stuff. And uh, I remember the uh, the underwriter was like, so, you know, is it possible that you could make one hundred thousand dollars this year? And I, I laughed out loud. I was like, no, there's absolutely no way that I could make <laughs> make that much money. And uh, she was like, let me ask you again. Is it possible that you could? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, so I, I took, uh, I only tapped like 40,000 of that and rolled it into the, you know, like bare essentials that I needed to, to get the, the facility open. And just, I've always continued to roll you know, any profit that we've made back into the business in one form or another. So do you remember how long it took before you actually were able to make a hundred thousand? It was at least, I mean, I still haven't taken that for myself, right. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what do I need money for? You know, what's, what am I going to, um, but I think, you know, because our model was so slow, it was probably two, three years uh, before we broke that. Because like the first year was really just food service and like those five to seven um, restaurants and then with the Whole Foods. So, you know, that, that was all pretty slow. Um, probably two, three years to, to break that in sales. And then, um, you know, I, I always had like a side hustle. Um, the first several years I bought and sold design. You can see like in the background, I've, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So I was, I was always hustling and, and figuring out how to pay the bills and just, you know, paying everybody else first um, until the point, you know, where I'm like, okay, I can pay myself minimum wage now. And <laughs> now I can get up to 30,000 or whatever, you know, whatever the numbers have been over the years. But yeah. Uh, yeah. How how many people are now employed by uh, Upton's Naturals? Um, we are somewhere around fifty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of that goes through different channels. Uh, like we've got a a, a separate restaurant and um, you know manufacturing division. So, um, 
So have you always manufactured your own products or do you? Yes. Uh, well, on the, on the Satan side, yeah. yes. Um, they're really, especially when we started, there, there wasn't anybody that um, you couldn't go to a co-packer and be like, I'd like you to make Satan because nobody knew what that was. And uh, it's, a, it's a fairly unique process. Um, but uh, when we expanded... In 2015, we were actually the first in the world to launch a preseason packaged jackfruit, um, and that we had to, you know, work with partners on. And that's in a retort container. And is, to the best of my knowledge, before you, it was only available in cans. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, that was I I, I worked on that for several years in trying to find anybody like figure out how to do it um because i would buy the can myself and you know you get it home and you're like all right why am i dumping out all of this water from asia down the drain and we're you know we're shipping all of that extra weight uh that obviously consumes fuel um and then i have to sit there and wait you know a, a couple hours to slow cook this barbecue i just kind of want to tear it open and be ready to go. Um, so I, I had called basically every brand, you know, uh, throughout Asia with a can. And I, I would say like, you know, I, I'm really interested in buying a lot of jackfruit from you, but I, I don't want it in the can. Like, is there anything else that we can do here to, you know, like in bulk or, and, and they all laughed at me. They were like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Americans don't want jackfruit. Like, that's ridiculous. And I was like, I will tell me what it costs to invest in whatever it takes. And they all just, you know, blew me off. So ultimately, it took getting on a plane without a return ticket. And I just went to a number of different co-packing facilities um, that had the potential to do it. And figured it out. That to me is such a absolutely brilliant idea. Can you tell me based upon like sales, how does a jackfruit doing compared to the seitan? Well, the, uh, when we first launched the jackfruit was, um, everybody was really excited about it. Right. Cause it was the first of its kind. Um, I think for some people it's, it's been a struggle to figure out what else to do with it. We know that people want to make barbecue sandwiches and tacos and maybe you're having that, I don't know, a couple nights a month sort of thing. So um, we're at the point where it, it shot up like crazy and we got tons of press um, and then, you know, it kind of, plateaued and now we're on a slow build so mm -hmm. seitan um i think is more of your something for you know for a almost like a daily meal or a, a few times a week it's a little more versatile yeah and it certainly has more protein um than jackfruit which is largely just about the the fiber and the the texture well and as we all know americans are eating up with anything that has gobs of protein in it yeah and seitan is like the mother ticket yes yeah I mean, we what, have so many like bodybuilders that buy it by the case and yeah, like, yeah. are you sure you want to eat that much seitan and 
I mean, it's, I mean, it's about 80% protein if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. Yeah. 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 I'm like not a macros guy, but I know it's, I know yeah. it's, it's big. Well, for our listeners that are interested, I can tell you that if you take any one of Daniel's, you know, um, Satan products, whether it's the traditional, the chorizo, the bacon, the Italian, the ground, one little two ounce serving gives you 18 grams of protein. That's, that's pretty phenomenal. If that's what you're after. Yeah. Yeah. Protein's important, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, is fiber. Fiber. You need, you need fiber. Yes, you do. Tell me, because I have actually don't remember seeing it. Is there fiber in seitan? Very little. Okay. Cause it's a little, it's kind of, you t- it's from the wheat, right? And so it's a little bit processed. Yeah. Yeah. It's about as processed as a loaf of bread. Right. You also have some fava. You've got uh, right. You have a fava product. Yes. And is that because of silence of the lambs? <laughs> it is. It is not. Um, it was. It. It is my opinion that um, one of the future paths of the category is in different proteins, since mm. everything is so dominated by soy and wheat, and and now pea. Um, you know, it, it just seemed interesting to me to try to work with something that was fava, just you know, just to diversify those proteins a little bit. Yeah. Um, you've also got a, uh, a hot dog. He is called the up dog. It is. Uh, I was on the fence whether to go there with that, but it was, it was unanimous. And, uh, and is that made up? Is that made out of seitan? It is. Yeah. Right. Right. Also very high in protein. Yeah. Got it. Uh, the, the, the chorizo, what is the, the chili that gives that its kick? It's a wahio pepper. Hmm. And I don't, I've never even heard of that. Is that kind of like a, between a habanero and a jalapeno? Mm, I forget where it is on the Scoville scale or whatever, but, um, it, uh, you know, it's not too spicy. It's, it's just like a, it's a dried pepper and we've worked with the same supplier on that, uh, since we started, you know, uh, there's, there's an, uh, uh, a Mexican spice purveyor in town that that has a very unique blend. Um, yeah, uh, and in your bacon, you have your bacon uh, seitan. Uh, you've got a hickory smoke that's in there that really yeah. kind of makes it hum, doesn't it? Yeah, nice, nice, nice. So, if I go to your website right now, do you know roughly how many different offerings or SKUs you have to be like 18, 22? Um, the total count, I can't remember, but we've got, uh, there's four seitans plus the up dog. Um, there's six soups, two max. And then there are four jackfruits and one banana blossom. Mm-hmm. So, what about the vegan holiday roast and gravy? Is that seasonal? Uh, you, you got me. <laughs> uh, yes, the holiday roast is something that we did uh, as a limited time offer uh-huh. uh, just last year. 
Um, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be back on shelf this year. We were just sort of experimenting with it. Uh, we had a retailer come to us looking for some additional options. And we're like, well, you know, the, the roast market is pretty well saturated, right? Like everybody's got a roast. Um, even in, in our home, we almost always have a classic tofurkey every year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the one thing that was missing is if you're a single person or a couple going to a family Thanksgiving and, you know, you want to, ha- you can have all the sides, but there's no protein for you, um, you know, you're fighting for oven space or you basically need to make, you know, you need to bake off that roast for whatever, an hour, two, sometimes two hours or however long those things take to, to produce. Um, and then you're probably not going to eat the whole thing. So our solution was to just have something that's, you know, one generous serving or two reasonable servings, uh, with some gravy in there. That's just like basically ready to go in a couple minutes. You can put it in the microwave or, you know, in a skillet or in the oven. And yeah. So how how extensive is your R and D team? I mean, is that something that you're you're? It's just yeah. it's it's pretty much just me, and then um, you know it, it it depends. Certain projects, um, I, I pull in different people from production uh, or even our marketing manager. Um, wow, we actually we, with great story with the soups. We, we actually had a food scientist at the time on staff um, when we got a call from a major uh, natural foods retailer. And they said, you know, we're, we're thinking about expanding the, the soup offerings, you know, because there's really just one brand that has a lot of the shelf space and we'd like to see some other plant-based items. And would you be interested in taking a shot at it? Um, you know, the, the turnaround was pretty tight. It was like, you know, you had to have samples within like a month or two or could have been less. And I was like, well, I can, I can ask this food scientist to take a crack at it, but I know it's going to take them, you know, <laughs> several months. Uh, so our, our marketing manager and I, you know, kind of made a list of some of our favorite like homemade soups and she took the first crack at it. Uh, I think we we narrowed it down to eight and got together a week later and, you know, talked about all the feedback we had and refined them another one or two times, sent them off to this retailer just in ball jars. Yeah. Uh, and three of them were approved. And then we figured out, okay, how are we going to scale this up in time? I think at that point you had like six or eight months uh, until it was on shelf. That's crazy. Um, but that's what you have to do, you know, like it I could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year with a bunch of R&D people that you know that maybe they're going to get something right, maybe they're not, maybe the maybe a retailer will actually approve it or maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. So I've always tried to go with direct retailer feedback when it comes to launching products and and my own interests, you know, I if I feel good about it or I think it's a good idea, I'll take a, a stab at it. But yeah, 
Well, those, 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 so what year was that, that you launched soups? Soups, uh, was 21. I, cause I think the conversation started in 2020. Yeah. And then with the pandemic, there was problems at the, at, at the soup co-packer just with backup. Cause everybody was buying soup. So yeah. like, we can't fit you in. Yeah. Well, just, and for everybody that's listening, the six soups that you have on your website is you got a chicken noodle soup. Is that chick? Is that chick basically from, from the seitan? Okay. Yeah. Chick seitan. You got a chick tortilla soup. Mm-hmm. Sounds delicious. A minestrone, an Italian wedding soup. What the, when the world is an Italian wedding soup? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's got our Italian seitan in there. Um, ah. And I mean, I, to be honest, I've never had, you know, a, a conventional Italian wedding soup, but uh, Natalie, our marketing manager, it was something that, that she had enjoyed. And um, we knew it was a, a popular soup uh, in the conventional side of things. And it, it's basically like a spinach with a little bit of pasta and Italian sausage and, mm. you know. Yeah. And then the other two you got, you got a crimson lentil soup. Crimson lentil. Yep. Yep. Which um, probably does really well in Harvard. And then you have a, uh, a chicken wild rice soup. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know, you know, we've, we've, we've got 10 chilies and stews that are now at Whole Foods globally. And so I know how challenging it can be to kind of get those just where you want them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so congrats on, on, on having six. That's huge. How, how did you guys fare during, during the pandemic? Was that a, a, a good time for you or a hard time for you? I hope that no one would say that it was a good time. <laughs> well, um, but, uh, I, I think we, you know, we did okay. Um, we certainly benefited from, uh, people, cooking at home a little bit more. And we were lucky, you know, at the factory where we didn't have a lot of cases of, of, you know, people getting extremely sick or anything. And, um, it, uh, it was okay. It was as good as it could be. Yeah. So you, you know, in hearing you talk, I'm really impressed with your, you know, do it yourself attitude, your slow growth, kind of business mind, which seems to run counter to so many others that are just trying to, you know, go as fast as, as possible, um, doing all these, you know, raises and getting, you know, private equity money and basically losing control. And it seems like the one of the things that you've been really good at is, you know, you've self-funded, you've maintained control, you are a sole proprietor. Yep. Um, what uh, advice would you give to somebody that's on the sidelines? They're thinking about going into food. Would you say go for it? Or would you say stay away? It's just a a it's an arena that's littered with minefields everywhere you go. There are a lot of minefields for sure, for sure, and I mean it, it might it might call for a separate podcast. Okay, for me to just list all of my problems with the you know, the food chain, uh, because there are some very dark parts, uh, of it, but, um, 
You know, it really just depends on your own personality and what you have the appetite for um, and what your goals are in life. I mean, I didn't start this business to like become a billionaire. <laughs> I, I was just a vegan that, you know, wanted to do something for myself. Um, the slow growth model isn't for everybody, but it's it's definitely much more sustainable. I've had a number of friends that took on that investor money and, you know, didn't realize that even if they weren't giving up the majority of their business, now they're answering to these people that don't really care if you live or die. Like they just, you know, they're only in it to make money. And when your only motivation in life is financial, it's, it's usually not very pretty. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had people that have lost their businesses because, you know, they didn't, they didn't meet the the projections that you know the investors wanted, and they just stopped returning phone calls. And then, what are you left with? Mm-hmm. You know, something that you can't rebuild. Um, when the money stops, that's it. Speaking of, do you have an end goal with with Uptons, or are you kind of just taking it one year at a time? I, I think it's one year at a time. I mean, again, I never planned to be where I was necessarily, so. Um, you know, there, there are definitely highs and lows um, with the business at the size that it is now. You know, we in some ways benefited from all of that big money coming into the space. You know, there's a lot of attention, um, you know, around a very small number of products that people were going into stores to buy. And then a handful of those people converted, if you will, or, you know, ex- decided to expand their their uh, their meal planning a little bit and luckily tried some seitan and enjoyed it and continued to, to buy. But with that came a tremendous amount of pressure from, from retailers saying like, you know, what do you have that's new? If you don't have innovation, I don't care what this is doing. I've got to make, I've got somebody that's going to give me $10 million for this ad program. And, you know, you're not going to have your space unless you give me something new or you know, what, what can you do for me basically? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yeah. In addition to the, you know, 40% markup that I'm taking. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's only part of it. When you start talking about, uh, certain distributors that are really only, uh, they're really only in business because of the ways that they figure out how to charge back suppliers. Mm. You know, they, it's not this, it's not this old fashioned idea of I'm going to buy this widget for a dollar and sell it for $2. And then that person's going to sell it for three. It's yeah, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to only say I'm going to mark it up this little bit, but then I'm going to figure out a way to scam you out of like a ton of, (laughs) a ton of money until, uh, you're backed into the corner. Um, (laughs) yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, are your, are your parents still alive, Daniel? They are. Wow. What do they think about what you've done with Upton Uptons? Um, I, I suspect they're, they're proud, you know? Well, are they, are they entrepreneurial? Is that where you got your entrepreneurialism they, from? They are not. Uh, I mean, my father, to some extent, he had, uh, a small automotive shop for, uh, you know, a handful of years, um, and, uh, you know, I think for me, a lot of that came from 
being an only child, having to figure out a lot of things on my own. Um, and then, you know, I also kind of came from, you know, like the, the punk and hardcore scene where everything was DIY, you know, all of the shows were, you know, booked in people's basements or whatever. And you just, you know, if you want something, you're the one that needs to figure it out because no one's going to show up and hand you, uh, you know, whatever it is. Well, with the exception of all of those private equity guys in the last five or seven years or whatever it's been. So back in the day, were you, were you uh, in the punk rock scene? Yeah, you were great. Do you, uh, so were you, are you a fan of Moby at all? Um, I I wouldn't say that I'm a, 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 I wouldn't say I'm a fan, you know, I, I, I'm kind of neutral on Moby. I, you know, I don't have any Moby records, but I appreciate what he's done, uh, for veganism and, and what he's, you know, what he's promoted. Yeah. Um, well, veganism and animal rights. I had yeah. him, had him, I just interviewed him on the podcast, uh, last week. Super, super, uh, super impressive individual. Um, where are you straight edge? I am. Yeah. All right. Way to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, let's, uh, I got a, I got a couple more questions. I'd love to, sure. to ask you. Um, so you got all these different products. You got the, you know, you got the hot dogs, you got the seitan, you got the soups, um, you got the deluxe, you know, mac and cheeses. Tell me about the banana blossom and where that um, came from. And does it taste like banana? It tastes nothing like banana. Um, it's got a very neutral flavor. Um, it's largely used as a fried fish alternative. Um, you know, it's, it's similar to jackfruit in that it's basically just fiber, but the way that the, the blossom has like those layers in there, uh, you know, it, it somewhat resembles fish. Hmm. Do you you know anybody else that uses the banana blossom? Um, like at restaurants or just just in the food space that sells it like you do? Uh, I think that there are a couple of, of brands that have it canned. Hmm. I'm not sure if they're in the natural channel or not, but it was another one of those things where um, in speaking with a couple of retailers, you know, they had asked if, if that was something that we might be able to offer that would be clean label, you know, without any preservatives and, you know, not in a can because um, it, it doesn't need to be in a can. Um, and uh, it sort of fit in with, with the jackfruit. Mm-hmm. So, and tell people where what part where does the banana blossom come from it's it's uh it grows on the end of a bunch of bananas and then just falls off okay and is it is it i mean is it like the mother seed for the bananas or i'm a little confused no i role is is it a flower it is yeah so i'm i and i should say i'm not a i'm not a botanist over here so i I can only speak to this thing so much but uh yeah yeah, it's it's strictly a a waste product you know it would just be sent to the landfill or the compost heap um but it has that you know kind of fun uh layered texture that is delicious when you batter and fry it with like a little bit of seaweed or you know garlic and onion and uh, you know, again, it's, it's a whole food. So that's, yeah, that's great. 
So you've got a restaurant. Yes. And why did you decide in addition to taking on, you know, everything you have, you know, at Upton's Natural, did you decide to start a restaurant? And when did you decide to do that? It Well, it was, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, no, we, uh, the building that I'm in today, uh, we originally housed, we, it's, it's been 10 years, uh, and, and we were planning for it two years prior to that. So we started out in like a thousand square feet and, um, you know, we knew we had to expand and I wanted to do something, you know, in a, in a neighborhood that I wanted to be in personally. And, uh, I wanted to find a building that would allow for not only our, our main business of manufacturing to operate with trucks coming and going, um, but to have a little retail outlet just so we could use that as like almost like an R and D kitchen, you know, Mm. like different items every week and, and see, get people's feedback and be able to interact with the neighborhood. Um, so that was the original plan with the restaurant. And then also to feed the staff because we had, um, you know, at the time, I think we only had like 15 or 20 people on the team. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot to eat in, in the neighborhood. And when, when I started, it, it was countless days of, well, I forgot to bring lunch again. And there's, you know, I can only go have a salad down the street so many times. So I guess I'm just going to stand here and eat, you know, some, <laughs> some plain seitan. Uh, so I wanted to have this, this kitchen that could feed everybody. And that's, that's what happened with the restaurant. And, and so it's still, it's still, it's still there. It's still, it's still going strong. Yeah. We, um, we didn't realize exactly how much we would grow or how, how quickly we would grow. The building is, um, right around 9,000 square feet. Mm. Uh, so it was a huge leap. You know, we were thinking, oh, it's going to be like at least 10 years before we need to expand. And, you know, we're right in an area where we could previously had gotten, uh, you know, an offsite location that was, you know, enough room. And uh, the neighborhood's changed a lot and different businesses have come in to where, you know, we're definitely, we would be priced out of the size building that we would need to operate in today. Um, but yeah, within the first two years, it started to get tight. And then uh, we had to move manufacturing out um, about five, almost six years ago. Yeah. So we went from the 9,000 or whatever it was to 42,000. That's um, kind of sick. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a very challenging time in my life, uh, just in managing not only the move of the operations, but, you know, adding the number of people. I mean, there was a, there was a point where we went from like 20 uh, employees to 60 almost overnight and we're working three shifts and it was just completely insane. It was very, very difficult. Um and then uh, I actually live in the building, right? So it was hard to be like, well, we're just going to close down the restaurant and, and move. And 
so that's part of why the restaurant is still going. I mean, it 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 holds its own, but it it definitely has its challenges. Uh, yeah. How how many meals a week would you say you eat at the restaurant? Um, because it's right out your door, right? <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, I might be down to two or three because I'll be traveling back and forth from the factory and. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, we have some we have some good things that are suitable for a daily meal because uh, a lot of it is comfort food where, you know, we've got like uh, an Italian beef sandwich, which is very yeah. like it's just like all seitan and a bunch of uh, jardinere. And you don't, you don't want to have one of those every single day. Uh, so we have uh, a bowl that has like tofu and brown rice and kale and carrots. And yeah. Um, well, if you don't want the, um, what'd you call that? The Italian sub? Uh, well, it's like an, it's Italian beef. If okay. you've, if you've seen that show, the bear, um, I, I haven't, I it's, haven't. it's a popular show right now. Second season it's based on this, uh, Chicago delicacy, uh, known as the Italian beef, which is similar to a French dip. Okay. Um, it's basically just beef and peppers on a on a roll and you can dip it in this like in the gravy basically um okay so if you're dipping into upton's break room that's the name of the restaurant two to three times a week how many times you dipping into the liberation donuts a week uh you you started a donut a donut place is is it part of yeah well during the pandemic actually after we moved the manufacturing out, we're like, okay, well, what are we going to do with this space? Because we had, you know, um, on the main floor alone, we had at least an extra 1,500 square feet that was just for manufacturing previously. And, you know, we were thinking, oh, maybe we could do a food hall or, you know, try to do, you know, run a different operation out of here. Um, and then the pandemic hit so that, you know, we weren't opening a food hall for people to come eat at, but, um, there, there wasn't a vegan donut shop in town. And I had been playing with the idea for a long time. Like, you know, I, who doesn't love donuts? Um, so we decided to launch just like a separate concept within the break room, um, which was really helpful because if we just said, oh, now the break room has donuts, probably nobody cares. But if you read, oh, there's a new vegan donut shop, yeah, uh, that, that helped get people in the door. But last year, we did combine the two. So there is no more Upton's break room. It's just Liberation Kitchen, ah. uh-huh. uh, which is a little bit easier. And we've done some other fun things with the rest of the space. Uh, right now we have uh, our friends at Logan Arcade doing a pop-up. So we've got the world's largest pinball game um, and a bunch of rare early video games uh, that are available Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And to answer your question, I try to only have maybe one donut every week or every couple weeks because it's tough you know you're you're staring at those donuts every day and in the beginning especially when they're new you're like oh i i could maybe i'll just have one today and then what's your favorite donut you got a favorite i do it's the lydia's eclair 
So it's a it's a plain donut that has a vanilla pastry cream in the center. So it's it's cut in half, and then it has the pastry cream, and the top is dipped in chocolate. So it's got like a little bit of a crispy uh, chocolate shell. And uh, all right, the next time I'm I'm in Chicago, I'm going to get a Lydia's. Okay, the four Greta I think is the favorite. That's named after our late dog Greta because she loved whipped cream. Um, that's sort of like a strawberry shortcake donut. So it's got, you know, again a, a plain donut with uh, whip and then fresh strawberries. Mm, actually, I'm going to change it. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, that one's really good too. But yeah, whenever it's my birthday, we have a place here in Austin, Texas called Mister Naturals. Oh yeah, I've been there. I love okay. that place. Yeah, Mr. Natural. And they make they have the most amazing bakery goods and they make birthday cakes. And I always get the kind of the strawberry shortcake birthday cake mm-hmm. when it's my birthday. It's my one time I really indulge in uh in a vegan cake and I can't get enough of it. It's just yeah. when is your birthday? Uh it's in February. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Nice. Nice. What uh, what day in February? Uh, we happen to be the 16th. Oh, I'm the 18th. Well, so. There you go. We're Aquarians, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also saw on the website that the soft serve ice cream machine has been fixed. Yes. Thankfully, it was just um, some kind of power contactor, and it was a routine <laughs> thing. The guy came in that Monday and was just, you know, five-minute fix. Right. Tell me, Daniel, are are your mom and dad vegan? They're not. As as hard as I may have tried, you know, over the years, um, they're just too set in their ways. Hmm. Hmm. Which, uh, yeah. Well, do you ever take time to vacation and uh, you know enjoy yourself? <laughs> um. Not as much as I should. Uh, for many years, um, I would, and I, I try to give this advice to everybody that, that travels for business. When you, when you do that, you have to take at least some time to see what's going on in every city. So, you know, I, I've, I've traveled, uh, we had business in Europe for a long time. So I would try to take an extra couple days here and there. If I go to Sri Lanka or Thailand to visit factories, you take, you know, if you're traveling that far, you try to take a week. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but always make time for that, you know, when you're out there uh, doing business because it, it's hard. You know, if I'm sitting here we were talking about trying to take a vacation last night and I was like, Oh, I, I can't even think about it because I, you know, I've just got to wait until yeah. uh, this one thing is finished or, you know, until I know what's going to happen with that product or whatever it is. But if you said, Hey, we need to go to uh, Morocco tomorrow because there's a distributor that's really interested in bringing in container fulls, I'm ready. I'm, you know, let's go. <laughs> to, to the best of your understanding, how many different stores are you in across the United States? 5,000, 10,000? It's yeah. probably somewhere between seven and 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, the other thing we don't do is uh, pay a lot of money for data or third party services like that. So, yep. 
Um, you know, that especially as a startup, you know, when you have, if you've got someone else's money and they're like, here's a hundred thousand dollars to pay for that data. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier, um, to yeah. spend it, but, uh, I know that data, it's crazy how much, how much they're, they're wanting for data. And then the other thing that really kills me is all the free fill and the slotting fees, you know, especially your, your first year when, you know, you're just a little, little teeny weeny startup. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough. I mean, that's another reason why we took that sort of slow growth model where it's like, you know, we can afford a free fill. Uh, we've only actually paid slotting fees a handful of times over the years. And largely we waited for those kinds of conventional retailers to come to us. Yeah. Um, and you know, thankfully a lot of them have, have scaled back on slotting fees, um, and just done the one case free fill, but it, it can be tricky. I mean, there are natural stores that have a two case, uh, slotting fee and, you know, they'll, if you don't perform in the first three months, if, even if you're not in the season of the item that you're launching, you're out because they've got somebody else. They just got 25 grand from for a speed to shell for whatever it is. And so it can be, it can be very dangerous. Are you, are you, are you finding yourself doing uh, much in the way of promos during the year? Yeah. I mean, that's our, that's one of our main uh, ways to market the brand outside Mm -hmm. of social media. We we've scaled back on a lot of in-person consumer events. Um, I mean, now we, maybe next year we'll start to revisit those a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but certainly through the pandemic, the best way to gain trial was through like a quarterly uh, promotion. Because people see the tag and they're like, oh, it's a dollar off. Maybe I'll try that. Or, Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a great way to get trial for sure. Are you, are, you doing, are you typically doing both the expos, Expo West and Expo East? We've reduced it to Expo West. Um, again, I think largely because of the pandemic, um, it kind of seems like those shows aren't as important as they used to, uh, as they used to be. Um, and even meetings in person, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've literally taken three days because of, uh, a retailer meeting request in a far flung part of the country with, you know, only a couple flights in and out, but they got to meet with you in person for 15 minutes and you're gone for three days. Yeah. So, I for that, I am thankful. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, Daniel, this has been great. This has been really wonderful. I'm really glad that I ran into you at Expo West. Thank you yeah. for for um, agreeing to come on the Plan Strong uh, podcast with me, and you know, sharing a little bit about your journey. You know, um, at the at the front of Upton's Naturals, you truly are such an uh, iconic brand. You're such a um, such a leader in the in this space. And I have mad, mad respect for you and what you've been able to accomplish as a entrepreneur in what I think is one of the most difficult places to find success. And that's, and that's in food. We, I just cannot believe how every day we're putting out another fire, trying to figure out another problem that arises. And um, I never would have thought that I have the, the temperament or the mentality for this and it's been three years now and i'm finally like wow you know 
I don't love it. You may love it. I don't love it, but <laughs> I, but, but I am learning to deal with it. Yeah. But I love what I'm trying to achieve. Same here. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are definitely days where I just want to get on a plane and go anywhere else and never come back. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of highs and lows and you just need to, to do your best to watch out for the people that are trying to get you because yeah. they're out there. Um, there's always some new trick that somebody's trying to pull um, and just, you know, take it slow. Don't, don't worry about, about the, the big money, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Daniel, on the way out, yeah. um, where, where can people find you? Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about, and I, I, I actually would be remiss if I didn't talk about it very, very briefly is when did you start your D to C business? Can people order your products online and have it delivered straight to their door? Um, all of the shelf stable items are available on Amazon. Um, just we're not really set up for fulfillment like that. Um, so that was like the sort of the next best thing since so many people are shopping on Amazon, but we also, uh, have a great partner that we started working with this year, uh, called fakemeats.com. Mm. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, who has agreed to handle all of our cold chain shipping as well. So you can buy uh, product from them if you're in a part of the country that doesn't have our products, but most, uh, most parts of the country have some retailer with at least a handful of our SKUs. I mean, we're with uh, Whole Foods globally and, yeah. sprouts and a number of Kroger and Safeway banners and um, most of the independent stores, uh, the NCGs and infras of the world and um, natural grocers and um, the list goes on and on. So, all right. On the, on the way out. So the next yes. time I'm in Chicago, I'm going to come to the, um, let me see if I can remember it, liberation kitchen. kitchen. Yes. I'm going to play a little pinball at the world's largest pinball something or other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm also going to get, is it called the Greta? The four Greta. Four, yeah. four Greta. Four Greta. Four, four Greta. Uh, that sounds incredible. Well, Daniel, until I see you next time. Yes. Keep it vegan and keep it plan strong. And can you hit me with a little fist bump, a virtual yeah. fist bump? Boom. And right. thank you for having me as well. It's it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, absolutely, absolutely. All right, see ya. See ya. Thanks. I appreciate Dan's passion, much like my own, to create a healthier, more sustainable, and cruelty-free world. His determination and integrity are so admirable, which is in part why Upton's Naturals has gone from a shared kitchen to thousands of stores all over the world. I want to thank Daniel, and I know he'd agree when I say, let's keep it Plant Strong. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible 
with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Kryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.